I am thankful. And then I've got to follow that. Somebody say, pray for him. I need the prayer and you need the practice. You know that's right. Well, it's Super Bowl Sunday. Are there any football fans in the house? You know, Super Bowl Sunday is the, it's the one time that even folks that are not football fans watch a ball game and eat and eat and eat and eat. And everybody gets excited about a pigskin. Now, this is a Tom Brady ball. Can you see that? Don't boo me. I mean, he is famous for, de for deflating the ball, right? <laughs> Some folks do what they have to do. I'm just digging the hole deeper, right? <laughs> you know, I grew up playing football. Don't quit me over there. Did you quit me? Keep playing a little bit. I need help because about half of them quit me when I started, started talking about Tom Brady. So. But I grew up playing football. I learned a lot from sports. You can learn a lot in life from sports if you have a good coach. How many know the coach is key? Y'all quiet today. After that choir sang like they sang today, and you're going to sit out there and be quiet? But I grew up playing ball, all kinds of sports, and I learned a lot from sports. And I like sports. I'm a little bit competitive, just a little bit. And, and I enjoy all kinds of sports. But isn't it, isn't it amazing how many billions of dollars are spent on sports? It's getting quiet now. Two teams are going to play today in Las Vegas in a new stadium that cost over $2 billion. And it only seats 65000 It's not one of the largest stadiums in the country. And if you wanted to advertise on TV to the 115 million people that are going to be watching the game, a 30-second spot would only cost you $7 million. Those of you that have been following sports for a few years and the Super Bowl, you know that it didn't always cost $7 million. When it finally hit $1 million for a 30-second spot, people thought they've lost their mind. And now it's $7 million for a 30-second spot. Now, I hope all of you tithers that are sitting down front Understand that the front seats at the Super Bowl will cost you somewhere around $15,000. So I hope you wrote your checks for $15,000 today. And unless you folks in the back think you got off light, your tickets, your seats are about $6,500 seats. The average seat is like $8,100 to go to the Super Bowl. And then if you want a VIP, if you want to sit in the booth, sit up here, 
at the Super Bowl, those booths run between 1.5 million up to 2.5 million for a VIP booth. Somebody's spending some money for a three hour, three and a half hour event watching 22 guys on a field and a few referees and some coaches and some sideline folks fight over a pigskin. Yeah, throw it back. See if I can catch it. That wasn't bad considering the lights blinded me and I couldn't see anything. If it hit me in the face, it would have just hit me in the face, I guess. Super Bowl. But you know, when the two teams meet today, they're just not good players. They're not just some athletes that wanted to play a little sandlot football. These are guys that have made it their life career to play a sport called football. And no matter what your chosen career is as a Christian, our life goal should be about him. The Super Bowl guys that play, and if they, if they make it to the game, they get the Super Bowl ring. I don't know how, I, I forgot to look up how much the ring cost. It used to be $55,000, something like that, for a Super Bowl ring. A lot of money. But uh, they're all considered Super Bowl champions. But only one team wins. A lot of teams play. When it comes to the NBA, it gets down to the final four, but only one team wins. When it comes to golf championship or, or soccer or any other sport, only one team wins the championship at the end of the year, at the end of the season, at the end of the day. But you have a destiny to be a champion as a child of God. And I want to talk about the lifestyle of a champion today. If we could just take a moment. I want us to pray as we begin. And I want you to pray this prayer with me. Just say, Father God, in the name of Jesus, anoint me for my spirit to be open. To hear your word. To follow your word. To become all that you've called me to be. Anoint me. Thank you for my gift, but I need the anointing. I don't want to operate in the gifts without the anointing. Anoint me. Empower me. Equip me. Use me to make a difference in my, in my world, in a lost and dying world. And I give you the praise. I give you the thanks in Jesus' mighty name. Amen, amen, and amen. The people that become champions in any area, any arena of life, whether it is in their business, whether it is in a sport, whether it's Olympic athletes that train, they have certain things that they do to get there. They don't just show up. No athlete just showed up and became a world champion. It is true that some are more gifted than others. But give me somebody with the right attitude over somebody with a lot of gifts any day because attitude will win over gifts any day of the week.
If you have the right attitude, if you have passion, if you have a heart, you will overcome. But there are a number of traits. I don't even have time today to talk about all of the traits that champions have. I want to talk about a few of them. I want to just drop a few things in your spirit because I need to tell you, first of all, that you were born to be a champion. Thank you for those two amens right there. You were born to be a champion. And our culture has caused us to fall into a lifestyle of mediocrity. And most of us just settle for the best of the worst and the worst of the best. That's what average is. The best of the worst and the worst of the best. And if you understand average, you know that average, you're as close to the bottom as you are to the top. If you're average. God created us to be more than average. Look at your neighbor and say, you're not average. Quit acting like you are. We get satisfied with average. We want to know what is the average. And we're happy if we can just fall in the numbers of the average. But that's not what God wants us to be. Champions have to go above and beyond. They spend more time, more energy, more practice, more focus. More attention is given if they are to be what they call a champion. And a champion sleeps different. He knows sleep is important. He eats different. He knows that what he puts into his body is important. He knows that rest is important. He knows that focus is important. When I played football, our coach on game day, every time there was a game day, even though we were still in class, he would get as many of us out of class as possibly could, and we would go to the gym. We would go to the weight room by noon on game day. And he would tell us, go up there and take a nap and go to sleep. And we were not allowed to talk. He wanted us to get our mind on the game. He wanted us to focus on what was coming up. There was no time for horseplay. That was for later. That was after the game. But before the game, we had to focus. We had to get our mind on the game. About 4 o'clock in the afternoon, he would load us on the bus. He took us downtown to a local restaurant, and they would feed us steak and baked potato before the game. Somebody say, I like that. And we, would, and we were told on the bus, don't talk on the bus. When we went into the restaurant, we didn't talk. We didn't chatter. That was, it was not a time of fellowship. We were supposed to have been asleep for a few hours resting. Now we go eat. We get ready. We get our mind on the game. We get focused. We get ready for what was at hand. Because he wanted to win. Does anybody want to win? Whether you realize it or not, we are in a war. You are in a war. The enemy is after you. He wants to kill you and to destroy you. We are in a war. We are in a battle. So we have to be the best we can possibly be. We can't just float through life. We can't just go through and say, well, I'm going to have a little fellowship. I want to have a little fun. I want to eat a little bit. I want to play a little bit. I I, don't y'all like that music? Oh, that was good. No, 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 no. All of it has a purpose. The words of the songs that were ministered today, all the music had a purpose. It had a message that was focused. It was about who we are. It's about where we're going. It's to encourage. It's to build your faith. It's to make a declaration and declare a thing. So when it comes to the lifestyle of champions, there are certain things that all champions do. They may all have their unique approach, but some of the things 
We do them by default. So let's talk about the lifestyle of a champion. What is a champion? Well, a champion is someone that defeats or surpasses all the rivals in the competition. A champion is a winner. A champion is victorious. A champion is somebody that overcomes and conquers. That's what a champion is. Who is our champion? Who is our example? I'm glad you asked. Isaiah 42, 13 says it like this. The Lord will march out. Somebody say march. He will march out like a champion. He will march out like a warrior. He will stir up his own zeal. With a shout, he will raise the battle cry and will triumph over his enemies. Oh, I need to read that again. The Lord is our champion. He sets the example. He sets the pace. He gives us the model, and he marches out like a champion. In other words, when he shows up on the scene, he comes out knowing he is somebody. Champions strut out. Have you ever watched them when they come out before a game? Have you ever watched the ones that drive cars in NASCAR? Have you ever watched the attitude that is on a champion? It's not so much arrogance. It's just confidence. A champion has confidence. A champion knows he's going to win. A champion knows he has paid the price. A champion knows he is already prepared. A champion knows that he is focused. A champion's mind is on the game. A champion is ready to win. A champion is not worried about what's out there. He's not afraid. He is ready. He marches out with confidence like a champion. He marches out like a warrior. Warriors act a certain way. Warriors are not mamby-pamby, sissies, timid, wondering if they can win. Warriors are ready. Warriors are focused. Warriors have paid the price. And then he stirs up his own zeal. He says he will stir up his zeal. That's like what David did when his own mighty men wanted to put him to death. The Bible says David encouraged himself in the Lord. When his mighty men wanted to put him to death and they were ready to stone him because of something that was not David's fault, they began to pick up stones. They had them in his hand. I can just see David looking and saying, really? You don't know who you're messing with. I can hear him saying, you know, they wrote a song about you. Saul killed his thousands. But David, that's me. David killed his ten thousands. So, yeah, bring it on. Y'all want to mess with me? I'm the one that killed the giant. I can hear him say. With one blow to the head with my sling. You want, you want to fight me? Come on. Bring it on. And as he began to encourage himself and say, David, you don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be wary. You don't have to be concerned. You can defeat all of them. Let them come. Come what may. Because David knew, watch this, David knew that he was anointed. He knew the anointing was on him 
to take down every one of them that came against him. And as he began to encourage himself, I don't know what they saw. Maybe God revealed, opened their eyes, and maybe they saw the angel standing behind him and beside him and in front of him. But one by one, they begin to drop their rocks and say, oh, no, no, we, we, better, we, we, we better rethink this. We don't know what we are doing. We better leave David alone. We better encourage him. We better stand with him. So it says he will stir up his zeal. That means his confidence, his faith, his anointing, his power, his focus. Everything that's been deposited in him to be the champion that he is, he begins to stir that up. He begins to get ready. And I need to tell you today, everything that you need to be the champion God has called you to be and destined to be has already been deposited in you. It's in you. Whether you realize it or not, whether you've ever used it or not, it is in you. And you need to stir up the gift that is in you. You need to stir up the zeal that is in you. You need to stir up the anointing that is in you. I'm, I'm preaching better than you're shouting. And then it says our champion with the shout. He will raise the battle cry with a shout. I can hear him shouting hallelujah. Hallelujah. It doesn't matter how you feel. It doesn't matter what the circumstances are. It doesn't matter what somebody said. It doesn't matter what the enemy has tried to put on you. You need to lift up a shout. Your shout confuses the enemy. Your shout drives him back. Your shout builds confidence in you. With a shout, he will raise the battle cry. When the enemy hears the battle cry, they begin to tremble in their boots. When you begin to shout, they begin to, to run. They get scared, and they begin to run. The Bible says the enemy will come at you one way, but he will flee in seven directions. When you raise the battle cry, you will triumph over your enemies. We have an example. He's the Lord of hosts. That's who our champion is. So what does it take? To become a champion. What are the steps? What are the lifestyles of champions? Real champions that overcome. What do they do differently than most of us? Well, champions have discipline. Champions have self-control. So you can't be a champion if you can't have some discipline in your life. Tony played pro basketball. Did you get there just doing your own thing and staying up half the night and partying and not running, not being disciplined to run when you got to run up and down that basketball court so many times you got to be in shape? Did, did you get there? Did you get in shape by sitting on the couch? Well, we got a game tomorrow. I think I'll go sit on the couch and eat some potato chips. Oh, I know you like potato chips. But when you're disciplined, when you're getting ready for the battle, you better lay off the chips. You better lay off all the fattening starches. You might celebrate with a little ice cream sometime after the game, but let me tell you, that's, that's not the breakfast of champions. That bowl of ice cream is not the breakfast of champions. Come on, somebody. That waffle with double syrup is not the breakfast of champions. Eat some protein. 
get some protein in your system. Let me give you Titus chapter 2. We're talking about discipline now. We're talking about self-control. I'm going to blow your theology. Titus 2 verse 11 and 12 says, For the grace of God. Somebody say grace. Somebody say, I love grace. But you don't know what grace really is. See, some folks, there's a theology that has been perpetuated in our culture among churches that grace is a covering for you to do anything you want to, to sin any way you want to sin, to act any way you want to act. And because God has so much grace, he's like a cop that catches you doing 120 miles an hour and says, well, I know you didn't mean it. You can go. That's not what grace is. Here's what grace is. For the grace of God that has appeared to all men, that offers salvation. See, the the grace of God brings salvation to all people. And then grace, his grace, teaches us to say no to ungodliness. His grace teaches us when you get saved and grace comes upon you, it's a teacher. And it teaches you to say no to ungodliness, to say no to worldly passions, and for you to begin to live self-controlled, to live upright, to live godly lives in this present age. That's what grace does. It's not a covering for your sin. I don't know where you learned that. You didn't learn that here. But when you have the grace of God the conviction power of the Holy Spirit is on you and you know when you're doing something and it's wrong. Yet people cop out and say, well, God understands. I'm a special case. He knows I need that. Liar! Now, if you want to get mad at me, go back last Sunday and, and listen to the message on speaking truth. And then come back and we'll talk. But if you're going to be a champion, you have to have discipline. You have to have self-control. Revelation 3.16 says it like this. But since you are like lukewarm water, look at your neighbor. Just look at them hard. Don't say nothing. Just look at them. Look at them like this. Just look at them and, and just look up and down a little bit. Since you are like lukewarm water, And you're neither hot or cold. These are the words of Jesus. He said, I will spit you out of my mouth. Does that sound like grace to do anything you want to do? Does that sound like just living in sin and say, oh, I've got his grace. It's covering me. He says, you better get on fire for God. Or go in the other direction, just just flat backslide and say, I ain't going to serve God. I don't love God. I'm not going to live for God. Just go do your own thing. Know that you're hell bound. But you ought to be hot or cold. Since you're lukewarm, he said, since you are like lukewarm water, neither hot or cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. People that are champions are disciplined. They're not working out one day and not working the next day. They work, they practice, they push, they work, they practice, they push. They discipline themselves. They self-control. They, they are disciplined on what they eat. They are disciplined when they sleep. They are disciplined on their schedule. Everything is important. Everything is about the win. Your enemy's after you. Champions also confront fear. 
They confront their fears. You will always be afraid of that which you are afraid to confront. Whatever fears you have, you have to confront them or they will conquer you. Dory Miller was a champion boxer. As a matter of fact, he was the world heavyweight champion boxer on the USS Virginia. December 7th, 1941, Pearl Harbor Day. He was, in the, he was in the harbor with the others on the boat on the USS Virginia. When Japan began to bomb Pearl Harbor, bombs hit the ship that he was on. He saw his captain was injured, so he got his captain and he carried him to safety. He went back to the ship after he was off in a safe place. He went back to the ship and he manned a submachine gun on that ship. And he took down three enemy planes. And you say, well, that's what he was supposed to do. Right. His job, his assignment in the Navy on that ship was to work in the kitchen, in the mess hall. He was a kitchen. He, was, he worked in the kitchen, cleaning and cooking. But when they were being bombed, he rose to the occasion. He confronted his own fears. He went to a submachine gun, and here's what I found out about him. He had never shot that machine gun in his life. Yet he rose to the occasion to do what he had not been trained to do, but to do what he knew mentally he had to do. To save more lives. Isaiah 41 says, don't panic. I am with you. There's no need to fear for I am your God. Somebody needs to read that several times and get it in your spirit. When you panic, when you're always worried, when you're always frustrated, when you're always losing control just because some circumstance happens in your life beyond your control, you get all worried and frustrated and fretting. The Bible says, don't panic. I am with you. God is with you. There is no need to fear. He says, I am your God. I'll give you strength. When you need strength, he'll give you strength. He says, I will help you. I'll hold you steady. Keep a firm grip. Quit losing your grip. Quit giving up. Quit giving in to the devil. Quit giving in to your fear. Quit giving in to trouble. Quit giving in to circumstances. Confront your fear. Ephesians 3 says, because of our faith in him, we dare to have the boldness, the courage, and the confidence of free access and unreserved approach to God with freedom and without fear. Because of our faith, because of our faith in him, we do that. No fear. A champion confronts his fear. I'm going to hurry. If you're going to be a champion, you understand good is just not good enough. There's a lot of good athletes. And in every sport, in every competitive sport, the champions sometimes may only win by fractions of a second. But they win. And it wasn't luck that gave them the edge and the advantage to win by fractions of a second. 
It was because of the extra time they put in, the extra practice they put in, the extra hoops that they shot, the extra sprints that they ran on the field, the extra laps that they did, the extra hours that they put in, getting ready, getting ready, getting ready, getting ready, focusing, practicing, discipline, keeping their mind on the game. Ephesians 3.20 says, Now unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works to him, it works in us. To him be glory in the church by Jesus Christ to all generations forever and ever. Here's the key. Now unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above. That's more than good. Good is good, but good is not good enough. We have to move from good to great. Champions. There are a lot of great athletes. There are a lot of great people. There are a lot of great careers. There are a lot of great businesses. There are a lot of great corporations. But to be a champion, you have to be above good. You have to stand out in the crowd. And you do that by paying the price. Good is not good enough. The two teams that will meet today on the, on the field in the Super Bowl in Las Vegas... I don't know how many teams in the NFL. Somebody know how many total teams? 22? 32 teams. Why didn't the other 30 make it? The other 32, the other 30 teams, they're not high school players. They're not college players. They're the guys that made it to the NFL. Why aren't they in the Super Bowl? Because it takes more than just being good. It takes being, being better than the best, better than the rest. It takes be, being better than average. It takes better than being the best high school player, the best college player. To get to the NFL, to get to the NBA, to get to the pros and the PGA, to get to any sport to the very top, you've got to be more than just good. Our God is a good God, but he's more than that. He is able to do exceedingly, abundantly above all that you can ask or think. When will you believe him? When will you believe his word? When will you live by the word of God that says he's above all of that? Good isn't good enough. A champion understands he has to pay the price. 2 Timothy 2.15. Be diligent. To present yourself approved unto God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Be diligent. Study, one translation says. Be diligent. Focus. It would be foolish for me to try to preach to you and be a pastor having never read the Bible. Whatever your area, your career your ministry, your business. Focus on that. Do that. Be good at that. Be the best at that. Be a champion at that. Psalm 144. Blessed be the Lord my rock who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. You know what they say, you know how many hours it takes to be a professional, to be a pro in any area, in any sport. You know what the number is? How many hours? 10,000. 10,000. I've heard it for years. I read it this week. 10,000 hours. But I read that, what was, the, what was the, uh, the gymnast, Simone, what's her last name? She spent 15,000 hours. 
If you think, well, everybody's spending 10000 that makes it to the Olympics, that makes it to the top, I'll, I'll spend 10000 Well, now it, take, it may take more than 10000 It may take 15000 If you think you can get there by 5000 you may not make it. Well, my gift will carry me. I'm, I'm more gifted than they are. Aha. Uh-huh. Yeah, give me somebody with an attitude and passion over somebody with a gift any day. A lot of people think their gift will carry them. And the Bible does say your gift makes room before you, makes room for you and takes you before great men. It opens doors. But if you don't have the anointing, you're just left with the gift. Give me the anointing over the gift anytime. You have to pay the price. You have to put in the time. You have to put in the energy, the effort, all the things to be the champion. Champions understand they have to have excellent attitudes. Here it is. I love attitude. Attitude determines your altitude. In an airplane, it's not the power that you apply. It's not how many horsepower you have that takes you higher. It is the attitude of the airplane. Airplanes have attitude. It's called pitch. Because if you have too high of an attitude, if you have a nose-high attitude in an airplane trying to climb higher, you won't have the energy, you won't have the power, and you will stall. And if you're not real careful, when you begin to stall, I told you this a few weeks ago, when an airplane stalls, the wing actually stalls. It stops making lift, either the left wing or the right wing. And when that happens, it begins to fall And then it goes into a spin. And if you don't get out of that spin after about three turns at the most, unless you've been trained as a stunt pilot and you've got a very good airplane that's built to handle that kind of pressure and stress and G's, you will crash and burn. Thank you all for paying attention a few weeks ago when I taught you that. But attitude is important. Attitude determines your altitude. 2 Corinthians 9, 24. Here's in the Bible now about athletes. Do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Unless it's in the 2000s and you get a participatory prize. What is that? When I was growing up, You had to get first, second, or third place. You didn't get a trophy just because you showed up. What are we trying to teach our kids? Do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one gets a prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Showing up just won't do it you got to do more than show up. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. This is the Bible now. This is not a sports manual. This is the Bible telling people how to act if they're going to be in competition in sports. They all go into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last. But we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like somebody running aimlessly. I mean, if you're running aimlessly, you know, you, you run this way. While, oh, I'm supposed to be going this way. Oh, oh, no, let's get back. Nope. Oh, let me come over here and take a break. Are you out on a joyride? 
I don't run like somebody running aimlessly, he says. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. What good would that do? No, he says, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Too many people have the wrong attitude and they disqualify themselves by their attitude. Your attitude, your wrong attitude will close your own door. God opens a door for you that no man can shut and your attitude closes the door. Your sin closes the door. Your behavior closes the door. Don't close your own door. Have an excellent attitude. Champions also are teachable. Let that one sink in. Teachable. What does that mean? Well, most champions that I've ever seen in my life have a coach. Where would we be without the coach? The coach is the one that pushes you. The coach is the trainer. The coach is the one that pushes you beyond your limits. The coach is the one that encourages you. Sometimes he encourages you by negative words. When I played ball, I remember my coach used to say, Ball, my grandmother could block better than that. My grandmother could block and make a hole big enough for a semi-truck to go through. What are you doing? I would go back to the huddle and say, I'm going to block better than his grandma. I will not be that guy. And I would go back and I would fight. And I would dig down deep inside. And I would find something that I didn't even know was there. And I listened to what he said. I let him coach me. But a lot of people today, they're not coachable. You can't tell me nothing who you think uh, who you think you are. You think you're my mama. You think you're my daddy. What right do you think you have speaking into my life? I didn't give you a permission to speak in. You need a coach, honey. And what I don't understand is when there are people in your life that love you, that have proven themselves, they have given for you, they have loved you, they have helped you, they've served you, they've been your friend, they've had your back. And you start making some stupid decision, start going in the wrong direction, doing the wrong thing, and they say, hey, let's talk just a little bit. They're not mean. They're not trying to get in your business. They're just trying to watch out for you. And they, can we talk? Can I just share some things with you that I'm seeing just outside looking in? I, I want what's best for you. And you shut them down. When they've already proven themselves to be on your side, to be in your corner, to be what you need, you shut them down. And when there are several people in your family, in your life, in your world that begin to do that and make that approach and you shut them all down, maybe you need to reevaluate who you are and if you have a teachable spirit and where you are on the journey. Here's a good scripture, Proverbs 26, 12. Do you see a man who is unteachable? And he's wise in his own eyes, full of 
Self-conceit. Anybody ever seen somebody like that? Wave at me if you have. You've seen at least one person. Do you see that? The Bible says there is more hope for a fool than for him. You say, well, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. You can if the old dog wants to learn. The old dog's got to be teachable, coachable. He's got to be willing to listen. And I know sometimes it pinches. I know sometimes it hurts. I know sometimes it, it, it presses our pride. And we get embarrassed because where we are, we ought to be further down the road. And somebody's having to teach us about something we should have already known about. Or our attitude gets out of kelter. And we need somebody to help bring us back in line. But do you see that man who is unteachable? He's wise in his own eyes. He's full of self-conceit. There's more hope for a fool than there is for him. Mark 4. For whoever has a teachable heart, he's coachable. He's teachable. To him, more understanding will be given. If you can open yourself and allow somebody to teach you, to coach you, to help you, You'll receive more. More understanding will be given. And whoever does not have a yearning for the truth, even what he has will be taken away from him. There's a lot in this book if you just read it. Champions are teachable. They're coachable. And then a champion has to know his opponent. He has to know who's up against. He has to know who he's fighting The technology has come so far now. Many years ago when I was in school, I know that we always watched the game field, the game film of the team we were going to play on a Friday night. We would watch that team play the week before, two weeks before, playing somebody else, playing another opponent. And we would study their moves. We would study the quarterback. We would study the lineman. We would study the, the, the place kicker or the punter. We would study the, the, the guys that were uh, wide receivers and the ones that were going to uh, play defense, the linebackers. We would study. We would study the ones that we were up directly against across the line to see how they're going to respond and how they're going to act under certain situations. You had to know your opponent how they acted, how they moved, what their weak places were. Doesn't it seem like it would be wise for us to know the opponent that we are facing? Some folks walk through life, even as Christians, say, oh, I don't have a care in the world. I don't have an enemy in the world. Yes, you do. You do. Satan himself hates you and despises you and wants to destroy you. John 10 says the thief, he comes to steal, kill, and to destroy. He wants to destroy everything that is precious to you. He wants to take your peace. He wants to take your joy. He wants to take your finances. He wants to take your children. He wants to take your family, your spouse. He wants to take everything from you that is precious with no regard for you, for your life, for your future. He doesn't care. He hates you. Because he hates your God. 1 Peter 5, 8 says, be sober. That knocks some folks right out of the box right there. <laughs> oh, I heard what you said, Pastor. That's not what that means. Oh, really? Be sober. Look at your neighbor and say, he is talking to you. Be sober. 
Sobriety is the opposite of intoxication. So I only had one, a little one for my stomach's sake. Uh So how much intoxicated are you? He said, be sober, well-balanced, and self-disciplined. Have you heard any of this before? We're talking about what it takes to be a champion. He said, be alert and be cautious at all times. The more intoxicated you are, the less you can be alert. And the less cautious you will be any of the time, much less all the time. And by the way, the Bible says abstain from all appearances of evil. I don't know anything that good that comes out of your, your alcohol, your drugs, or any of your addictions. Don't shout me down. One of the things of a champion is you're not afraid. So I ain't afraid of your faces. I love you. I want you to get to heaven. I want you to do right. But I ain't afraid. Know your opponent. Be sober, well-balanced, and self-disciplined. Be alert and cautious at all times. That enemy of yours, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion. He's not a lion. He's not the lion of Judah. He's, he's, he's an imitator. And he's acting like a roaring lion, fiercely hungry, seeking somewhere or someone to devour. He wants to devour you. He is after you. So you have to know your opponent. How do we, how do we know him better? Here's the book. The Bible says that your opponent is the father of lies. So he will never, ever tell you anything truthful. It will all, all always be coded with a lie, with deception. He will deceive you. Know your opponent. Champions also will finish strong. Our high school team was the second half team. We went undefeated my senior year except for the final playoff game. The year before, undefeated championship game. We moved, we moved locations, my family, when I was through the 10th grade. So my last two years, I ended up at a different school. But the school that I had grown up in, the high school, they were number one in the nation in AAA football in high school. 19, I told you the year, didn't I? Now you know how old I am. But here's what he said about finishing strong. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith. Let us strip off every weight that slows us down. See, when you're getting closer to the finish line, sometimes you've got to throw some things overboard. You've got to strip some things off. You've got to lay down some things. You're getting close. You've got to run faster. You've got to run harder. You've got to be more disciplined. You've got to be more focused. He said, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And then he said, let us run this race, run with endurance the race that God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding the shame. 
Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne at the right hand of the Father. Finish strong. Keep the end in sight. Keep the goal in sight. Keep the target in sight. Keep the finish line in sight. We're all human. You may stumble. You may fall. Have you ever seen an athlete get up and go forward? Even after he fell, after he stumbled, when it looked like there was no use to get up because the others in the, in the pack were so much faster, how could he ever catch up? But I've seen them after they fall. I've seen them get up and still pass everybody because it was what's on the inside. It's because there's a champion on the inside. You were born to be a champion. You are destined to be a champion. You are destined to be an overcomer. You are destined to walk in your devil-conquering destiny. And you have to decide, even though I've been knocked down and knocked back, even though I want to, I get tired, I get weary, even though there are times I want to quit, I want to give up, even though I don't understand everything that's happened. I don't understand the circumstances. I will finish strong. I will not quit. I will go forward. I am an overcomer through the blood of the Lamb and the word of my testimony. Somebody shout yes, 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 yes. Here it is. You are destined to be a champion, whether you believe it or not, you are. Romans 8, 37. Yet, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Champions have gone through the battles of life, and they have prevailed. Champions have spiritual armor that is blood-stained and battle-tested. Get this scripture. We started here. I want to finish here. The Lord will march out like a champion. It's time you started marching out like a champion. The Lord will march out like a warrior. It's time you started acting like a warrior. You started acting like a champion. And when you get up, you go, you march out. You come in with confidence. You go out with confidence. You exude confidence everywhere you are because faith will help you overcome every fear. And when you start marching out as a warrior, when you start marching like a champion, you begin to stir up the gift that is in you, begin to stir up the zeal that is within you, and then you begin to shout. You begin to raise the battle cry. You begin to lift up a shout and a praise unto him, and you will triumph over your enemies. Everybody stand. I'm thankful for our great country, for our great nation. I'm not anti-sports. I like sports. I do think that some of the pro sports and even, well, all of them in every arena, they've gone a little bit overboard with what they spend because it's so out of proportion. When a school teacher has a single mom works day in and day out for forty or fifty thousand dollars a year and a pro athlete gets ten million something's wrong something's wrong the Bible says a laborer's worthy of his hire yeah I believe that I agree with that but there are some things that are out of balance. 
There's some things that are out of proportion. You have an assignment. It's easy to be average. But remember, when you're average, you're as close to the bottom as you are to the top. And just one little setback could tip the scales in the wrong direction and you could be right on the bottom. Climb. Press. Push. Kyle Maynard was born as a congenital amputee. When he was born, he had a winning smile. But Joey had no arms, no hands, no legs, no feet. Stumps about this long. The world was not made for the Kyle Maynards in life. The world was not equipped for a Kyle Maynard to succeed. Yet, when he was eight or nine years old, he wanted to play football. So his dad talked to the coach, and there he was out on the field about the size of a puppy running up and down the field with no arms, no legs. He played. When he got in high school, he decided he was going to wrestle because maybe that was something he could do. His first 35 matches, he was pinned and he lost every match. But by his senior year, this boy with no arms and no legs, no feet, no hands, won 35 wrestling matches. Kyle Maynard, born not too far from here in North Georgia, just across the line. How would you like to be the guy that was beat up in a wrestling match by the guy with no arms and no hands and no legs, no feet? He pinned 35. He learned to drive. He learned to take care of himself. He learned to feed himself. He became a motivational speaker. He wrote best-selling books. After he got out of high school, he wanted to climb Mount Kilimanjaro in Tanzania. I've been there. 19,600 feet to the summit. And he crawled up that mountain on all fours. 20 days pushing through the cold, the wet, the wind, the rocks. What most of us could not do today. This quadruple amputee was born with no legs, no feet, no hands, no arms. Climbed one of the tallest peaks in the world. Had his picture made at the top. He overcame obstacles. And when you see a guy like that who truly becomes a champion, you know it's what's on the inside that causes him to succeed. What's on the inside? What do you have in your heart? You've got to get rid of quit. You've got to get rid of failure. You've got to put that out. You've got to put it aside. When Navy SEALs faced the toughest week of their life called Hell Week, everything within them wants to quit. And even the commanders are telling them, all you got to do to quit, to eat, is to just ring that bell. Just go ring the bell. 
And they go five and a half days with virtually no sleep, less than three hours sleep per night. When they stop to eat, most of them are so hungry or so sleepy, they'll even fall asleep and not even eat. But they learn something during that week if they're coachable. They learn that anybody can ring the bell. Anybody can quit. But they learn that there's a lot more inside them than they thought. A great more is in you. I said this earlier. I want to say it one more time. Listen carefully. Everything that you need to fulfill all the dreams and goals and desires in your life from the time you begin having dreams and goals and desires to now, everything that you would like to happen, everything that you would like to happen in your family, in your finances, in your everything, every dream, every goal that you've ever imagined that just maybe I would love to do that or have that or go there or be that, everything that you dream and have in your heart, everything you need to get there has already been deposited in you. You can believe it or not, but it's true. God has already made the deposit. All you have to do is walk it out. You're not too old. It's not too late. You say, but I don't have this. I don't have that. Quit making excuses. Our assignment is to march out like a champion, like a warrior, to stir up what is in you, to shout, to raise the battle cry, and then you will triumph over every enemy that you face. It's true. Put your hand on your heart. Father, you see every heart that's in this place, those watching online or on TV. You see them now. And I pray, God, right now that if any word that I have shared, any scripture that we have given today resonates in their spirit, I pray, God, that you would stir it up. Stir it up. Stir it up in their heart right now. In the name of Jesus, I pray that you would bring an anointing on us as individuals and corporately to be the champion that you have destined us to be. Thank you for the champions that are in this place. Thank you for the champions that are rising up right now. Thank you for the champions that have already been born, but now they are having passion. They are seeing the goal in sight, and they are willing to do the things that it takes to be the champion you have called them to be. Thank you, Lord, for the commitments and the dedications. Thank you, Lord, for those that are willing and start paying the price. Thank you, Lord, for the ones that keep their focus and don't look to the left or the right and don't get distracted by the enemy. Thank you, Lord, for those that will not quit and will not give up and will not give in and will not go back. I thank you right now. And, Lord, I pray for an anointing to manifest. I, take, I pray, Lord, for an anointing to settle upon every one of us. I pray, oh, God, that our hearts would begin to be full and overflowing with your word, with your power, with passion, with vision, with dreams to be all that you've called us to be. Lord, we recognize we are in a battle. We are in a war. But we also recognize that we have assignments and we are champions 
And you've deposited everything in us we need to be the champion you've called us to be. Let it be according to your word, Father. In the name of Jesus. In the mighty name of Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah.